Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so we're reading my book, The Pesky Kids 4, Near Extinction, and we're up to Chapter 27, Awkward. Let's get stuck into it. Here we go. Mum, Dad and Ingrid were having the most awkward road trip ever. They were driving back to Currawong from the airport. Once they'd got out of the prison by crawling through the sewers, slipping over the border and catching a plane had not been too hard. The hard part had been getting rid of the smell. They'd all had multiple showers and changed into fresh clothes, but an odour still hung over them. They'd been so exhausted they slept through most of the flight, and they couldn't exactly have a conversation about international espionage on a crowded plane. Now they were in a car, just the three of them, they should have had plenty to talk about, but they were all strangely silent. This was pretty normal for Ingrid. She didn't believe in unnecessary verbal communication. She was driving and concentrating on the road. But Dad and Mum didn't have much to say either. Dad was sitting in the front passenger seat, feeling very anxious. He tried to soothe himself with calming thoughts about pruning, but it was of no use. He couldn't ignore the fact that his estranged wife was sitting a metre behind him. Mum didn't have anything to say either. She'd spent three months in prison avoiding saying anything, despite all the latest psychological interrogation techniques being used on her. She was hardly going to crack now, just because of a little awkward silence. They were about 45 minutes from Currawong, 60 if you drove at the speed limit, but Ingrid never did. The road stretched long and straight into the distance. You could see any obstacle literally miles away. So Ingrid noticed right away, when up ahead, there came into view a police car parked in the middle of the road. "'Something is wrong,' said Ingrid. "'Oh, dear,' said Dad. Mum leaned sideways and forward so she could get a better view out through the windscreen. "'Is it some sort of trap?' she asked. "'I don't think Constable Pike is smart enough to stage an ambush,' said Ingrid. "'But he wouldn't have just broken down in the road,' said Mum. Ingrid shrugged her shoulders. "'Maybe not, but he is dumb enough to forget to get petrol.' "'Don't slow down,' said Mum. "'Drive around it.' They were closer now. There was no sign of Constable Pike. No, stop, said Dad, with authority. Ingrid did not like Mum. She respected her as one of the best living espionage operatives in the world, but she didn't like her because of what she had done to Dad. When Ingrid first met Dad, she had been contemptuous of him. He was a mess in every way. But over the years, she had grown to regard him with affection. As a spy herself, Ingrid had met very few good and nice people. Dad might be incompetent and weak, but he was a good man, and Ingrid knew so few good people. As a result of these complicated thoughts, when Mum said go and Dad said stop, Ingrid slowed the car. The constable may be hurt, said Dad. He may be dead, said Mum. Us getting out and getting killed too won't help him. Ingrid stopped the car entirely. She had wanted to be a spy since she was 12 years old, but she didn't want to end up merciless like Mum. They all scanned about. There was no sign of anyone anywhere. 
Ingrid got out, so did Dad. Mum sighed and climbed out too. What could have happened? wondered Dad. Maybe he's taken a leak somewhere in the scrub, said Mum. A leak, said Dad. Leaks would never grow out here. They're like a moist soil. No, a leak as in going to the toilet, urinating, said Mum. Dad blushed. He didn't like it when people talked about the toilet, which was why it was particularly distressing for him having crawled through a sewer the previous day, because now he smelled like one. Ingrid was peering in through the windows of the patrol car. She opened the door. The engine is still running, she said. How much petrol is in the tank, asked Mum. Ingrid leaned in to read the gauge. Nearly full. Then he can't have left here long ago, said Mum. A voice crackled over the CB radio. Pike, this is Bilgong Station. Do you read me? Over. Ingrid reached in, picked up the handset and said in her deepest, most manly sounding voice, Go ahead, Bilgong. A crop dusting chopper found some Currawong High kids out over the dinosaur park. Their school bus has been hijacked. Some of the kids appear to have been kidnapped by the hijackers. How many kids? asked Ingrid in her Constable Pike voice. Two girls, two boys and a dog, said the dispatcher. All from the same family. The name is Pesky. Oh, and a blind kid called Tom. Do you know them? Yes, said Ingrid, forgetting to sound masculine. And he's not blind, he's vision impaired. What, said the dispatcher. Ingrid just dropped the handset. The kids have been kidnapped, whimpered Dad. He had heard the conversation, but he desperately didn't want to believe it was true. It would be so wonderful he was asleep in bed, and that the entirety of the last eleven years were just a horrible nightmare. But he knew it couldn't be a dream. His imagination was not capable of coming up with how badly he smelled at that moment. Mum jumped into the driver's seat. Get in! This car will go faster! Ingrid slid over the bonnet and got into the passenger side. Dad clambered into the back, behind the grill that protects the driver from the prisoners. Put your seatbelt on, Harold, advised Mum. She punched the accelerator, and the police car took off at top speed in pursuit of her children. All right, that's the end of that chapter, so let's keep going. Chapter 28, Self-Rescue. The pesky kids, plus Tom and Pumpkin, were still hidden up the back of the bus. Now they've kidnapped Constable Nitwit as well. There goes any chance we had of being rescued by him, said April. We'll just have to rescue ourselves, said Joe. How are we going to do that? asked April. Well, we could pull up the floor panel, said Finn, pointing to an access panel in the linoleum. That would expose the drive shaft. It should be fairly easy to sabotage it. You're suggesting we sabotage a speeding bus while we're on it, said April. That doesn't sound very safe, said Tom. No, agreed Loretta, but being kidnapped isn't very safe either. It was surprisingly easy for Finn to pull up the floor panel. The drive shaft was right there below them, spinning away. But how do we sabotage a drive shaft? asked Joe. In the movies, they always pour sugar into an engine, said April. That's the petrol tank, said Finn. This is a drive shaft. Well, what do you suggest, Einstein? asked April. We could stick a spanner in it, said Finn. You're kidding. You want to stick a spanner in the works, said April? Talk about a total cliché. It's worth a try, said Finn. We could stick your head in the drive shaft, said April. You're good at shoving it in places it wouldn't fit. Get back, said Joe. Finn and April looked up to see Joe had found the window-smashing tool from the inside of the bus. He dropped it down the access hole. It hit the drive shaft, spun off into the dirt, and disappeared into the darkness behind the bus. Luckily, the bus engine was so noisy, Georgia and Bruce didn't hear a thing. We need something longer and thinner that we can jam right into the universal joint there, said Finn, indicating the point where the drive shaft met the wheel axle. 
They all looked about. Buses don't have many detachable parts, probably to prevent people using them to sabotage the bus. But April's eyes lit on something. Give me a stick, she demanded of Tom. What? asked Tom. April reached out and snatched the white cane Tom used to find his way about with. It was still attached to Tom's wrist by the strap. Hey, I need that, said Tom. You don't need to be able to find your way about, said April. You're being kidnapped. You don't have any choice about where you're going. She tugged the wrist strap away from Tom before he could protest further, turned around and speared the cane into the drive shaft. It was a direct hit. The cane was chewed up into the U-joint. The wheels locked. What's going on, wailed Georgia, as she desperately tried to keep control. But the bus veered off the road and was bumping over uneven ground. Hit the brakes, yelled Bruce. Georgia started pumping the brakes, but it was no good. The bus did not slow down. Brace yourselves for impact, called Finn. Joe grabbed Loretta, wrapping his arms around her and clutched onto the back of the seat. April launched herself on Tom, knocking him to the ground and holding him there like a spider about to eat its prey. There was an enormous crunch as the bus slammed into something and a dreadful scraping sound as momentum kept carrying the dinosaur forward. It slid straight off the top of the bus. The pesky kids, Tom and Loretta, were sprawled down the bus aisle. Pumpkin barked wildly. Finn had landed on Joe, so was the first to be able to extricate himself and look out the window. Dawn was just breaking. Finn could just make out the silhouette of what the bus had hit. We've crashed into the giant poo, cried Finn. Joe, April and Loretta all struggled to their feet and peered out. Finn was right. The front of the bus had smashed into Currawong's famous landmark, the giant potato, that did not actually look like a potato. The symbolism of this moment is priceless, said Loretta with a satisfied smile. You're all under arrest, bellowed Constable Pike. While they were looking out the window, the constable had regained consciousness and was now standing in the stairwell where he'd collapsed. He had his gun out and he was pointing it at the pesky kids. Why don't you put the gun down, suggested Loretta kindly. From the glassy look in your eye and the irrational nature of your actions, I think you might have concussion. And by think, I mean I'm 100% sure. I'm just trying to be calm and polite because you've got a gun. Be quiet, ordered Constable Pike, shaking his head and blinking like he was trying to regain focus. Hey, you can't speak to Loretta that way, said Finn. I've had enough of you pesky kids, said Constable Pike. You're not talking your way out of this one. Talking our way out of what, asked April. We haven't done anything. That's what you always say, Ah, said Constable Pike. As he tried to step up into the aisle of the bus, he tripped over Bruce's inert form and whacked his arm hard on the doorframe. Bang! The gun in his hand went off. Oh! cried Pumpkin. April screamed a blood-curdling scream. Ah! What happened, said Tom. He shot Pumpkin, wailed April. There was a growing red stain on her school blouse where she clutched a little dog to her chest. You beast, accused Loretta, shooting an unarmed dog. Constable Pike was clutching his arm. I think I've broken my elbow. Don't try and make excuses, said Loretta. Shooting a moodle is police brutality. April was clutching Pumpkin to her chest and wailing tears of devastation. Oh, my baby, my poor baby. Let me see, said Joe. April didn't stop wailing, but she did look up long enough for Joe to get a clear view of Pumpkin in her arms. The dog looked happy as ever. His tail was wagging, his eyes were bright, although one of his ears was slightly smaller than the other. Um, said Joe, I think he's going to be all right. It's just his ear. Oh, no, my dog is deaf, said April. No, it's just the tip of his ear, said Joe. My dog is deformed, said April. Not deformed, corrected Tom. 
differently formed. I'll differently form you, said April, instantly stopping her wailing as she braced herself to attack Tom. No, said Constable Pike. You're the ones in the wrong here. I won't let you bulldoze me this time. I'm arresting you all. You're all going to end up locked in a juvenile detention facility. You've gone too far this time. You've hijacked a bus and wrecked two local landmarks. Two, asked Finn. I thought there was only one giant poo. Well, how do you explain the dinosaur on the bus as well, demanded Constable Pike. Oh, that, said Loretta. We had nothing to do with that. Nothing that was our fault anyway. It was them, said Joe, pointing at Georgia and Bruce. They were just starting to regain consciousness themselves. Georgia had hit her head hard on the dashboard in the crash, and Bruce had smacked his head on one of the bus's railings. Huh? said Constable Pike. They've got a big bag of stolen jewellery, explained Finn. Arresting them will be a big achievement for you. Just then, the wailing sound of a police siren could be heard. It must have been moving fast, because within seconds the sound grew definitely loud. The patrol car skidded to a halt in the muddy verge alongside the bus. More cops, cried Georgia. We've got to get out of here. The door's blocked, snapped Bruce. He was desperately pulling on the lever, but the door was wedged up against the side of the giant poo. Georgia ground the gears of the bus, trying to find reverse. It lurched back half a metre, then clonked out completely. Bruce yanked on the lever one more time, and the door flapped open. He barreled down the stairs and ran at full speed straight into Mum's foot. She'd thrown a turning kick at his head, and he hadn't even seen it coming. Bruce went down hard, collapsing face down on the grass. Ingrid ran straight past and crash-tackled Georgia as she stepped off the bus. Georgia put up more of a struggle. She realised the two terrifying women attacking them meant business, so it would be a good idea to try and escape. But Ingrid was having none of it. If you don't stop struggling, I will press my ulna into your carotid artery until you lose consciousness, warned Ingrid. Georgia gave up. Ow! cried Bruce. Mum had used his own belt to truss him up like a turkey and was now pinching his fingertip. Who sent you here? demanded Mum. What was your mission? No one, said Bruce. Ow! Stop pinching me! Mum decided to take things up a level. She grabbed Bruce by the collar of his shirt and started twisting it. His collar became a sort of makeshift tourniquet around his neck. Bruce was soon gagging and his face was turning purple. Who sent you? demanded Mum. Mum! Mum looked up to see Joe, Finn and April watching her. They looked dishevelled and so much older. It had not been quite three months since she'd seen them last, but it felt like three lifetimes ago. Mum released Bruce. Oh, hello children, said Mum, trying to sound like a normal mother, as if they hadn't just seen her strangling a large man with his own clothing. It's lovely to see you. Joe, Finn and April were too stunned to know how to react. Their brains were spinning, trying to work out whether they should be feeling shock, anger, disbelief or delight. Pumpkin was not so inhibited. He rushed forward, yapping. He leapt up and tried to lick Mum's face. Mum scratched him behind the ears, just where he liked it. Hello, Pumpkin, said Mum with a chuckle. Have you been a good boy? I doubt it. This is your mother? asked Loretta. I think so, said Finn. April just scowled. Joe didn't attempt speaking. There was no chance any words would come out, certainly not the words he wanted to say. Blast off with Space Vacation the Musical as the Bloom family from the bright yellow planet takes a wild, weird, and wonderful intergalactic summer vacation. With original songs and stellar comedy, their trip goes delightfully haywire. Fun and adventure for all ages. Space Vacation the Musical on all podcast platforms now. 
subscribe today. I can't believe you have a mother, said Tom. I assumed you just hatched from a pod or were cloned by an evil scientist. Not now, Tom, said Loretta. You can't pick up on the visual clues, but I can. And let me tell you, there's enough tension in the air, you'd be able to feel it with your stick if it hadn't been ground into dust by the drive shaft of the bus. Terribly sorry, said Dad, apologising to the children. Ingrid and I were a, a little dishonest. We didn't go to the city for a holiday. We popped overseas to, um, fetch your mother. Joe, Finn and April still didn't speak. Last time they'd seen her, she'd just been their boring, embarrassing, dowdy mum. Now they didn't know what to think. Can someone please tell me what's going on, asked Loretta, looking from mum to dad and then Ingrid. I've got a super high IQ and off the charts ability to read social situations, but something's going on here and I can't figure it out. No one answered her question. Come on, I'm a pesky now, said Loretta. You can't keep secrets from me. No, you're not. You're not a pesky, snapped April. Dad hasn't actually adopted you. Well, maybe not technically, said Loretta, but we all know I'm part of your family now. There's no getting away from me. You've got to tell me everything. If we tell you everything, Mum might kill you, mumbled Finn. Now Loretta was really puzzled, but she didn't get a chance to ask any more questions because at that moment, Constable Pike staggered down from the bus. Mum clicked back into fight mode. She started running at the constable. No, cried Joe. He's a real cop. Don't hurt him. Mum stopped where she was. What's going on here? asked Constable Pike. He was really concussed now and deeply confused. You've done a wonderful job, Loretta told him, using her soothing, velvety voice. You've just arrested two jewel thieves. I have, said Constable Pike. You were very heroic, Loretta assured him. You're sure to get some sort of police bravery medal. But you did bump your head. Constable Pike rubbed his head. There was an enormous lump there. Actually, there were two. So we'd better call an ambulance for you, said Loretta, and get some police backup from Bilgong. You probably won't be able to do the paperwork yourself. You can't see straight. Oh, said Constable Pike. Even in his confused state, he liked the sound of not having to do paperwork. Sit down on the nice, soft grass, suggested Loretta, while we sort it all out for you. This girl is good, Mum whispered to Ingrid. Is she one of our operatives? No, said Ingrid. She is just a gifted amateur. Get off me! You're hurting me, complained Georgia. Ingrid responded by digging her knee harder into Georgia's back. I, on the other hand, am not an amateur. You will tell me who you are and why you are here. You will not make me torture you to find this out. There are children here and they've had a bad day already. They were after this, said April. She reached into the pocket of her school skirt and pulled out a plastic Ziploc bag full of sparkling jewellery. Robbery, said Mum. You're just thieves. I don't believe it, said Ingrid. It's true, said Georgia. Mum released Bruce and went over to take the bag from April. She looked at the stones inside. Where did you find them, asked Mum. Inside that dinosaur, said April. Mum looked up at the Tyrannosaurus Rex. When the bus had hit the poo, the T-Rex had slid off the top and speared into the poo-like sculpture. Its head was now impaled, with its tail pointed directly in the air and its legs dangling helplessly skyward. That's a terrible representation of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, said Mum. The skeletal alignment is all wrong. That's what I said, exclaimed Finn. Explain yourself, said Ingrid, digging her knee into George's back harder. You're out of your league here. Your mission has failed. Explain what you're doing here. Georgia had had no sleep. She'd been in two bus crashes and she'd been bitten by a surprisingly sharp-toothed dog. She was not a professional spy. She crumpled. 
We were just trying to get back the jewellery. We did the time. Eight years I've been inside. I should at least get to keep the jewellery I was put inside for stealing. Justice doesn't work that way, said Finn. That sounds like a line of dialogue from a cowboy movie, said April. I know, I felt good saying it, said Finn. Are we sure this has got nothing to do with Maynard, asked Mum. Joe shrugged. Weird stuff like this happens all the time in Currawong, said Loretta. Someone should test the groundwater, said April. I'm sure it's got something to do with heavy metal poisoning. Maybe Maynard put something in the groundwater, said Finn. There's lots of nitrogen in it, said Dad. I always get super dahlias in the autumn. Who's Maynard, asked Constable Pike. No one, said Ingrid. You've got a concussion. You need some rest. She patted him on the shoulder, then gripped his carotid artery so hard, he blacked out again. And that is the end of chapter 28. I think we've only got one chapter to go. Let me check. Yes, we have. So let's keep plowing on. Chapter 29. Home is where the awkwardness is. Once the police from Bilgong arrived, things were sorted out quickly. Constable Pike started babbling about how Pumpkin was dangerous. Pumpkin had started the whole thing. And it wasn't his fault he shot Pumpkin. The Bilgong police officers didn't realise that Pumpkin was a dog. They thought Constable Pike had a serious brain injury and was having delusions about a violent vegetable. Police take it very seriously when a fellow officer has been hurt. So Constable Pike was whisked away in a helicopter to get a brain scan at a big city hospital. The Bilgong police had never met the pesky kids before, so they assumed they were traumatised victims and sent them home to recover, saying they could come in and make their official statements the next day. The police even offered to give them a lift in their van. Once they dropped off Tom at his grandmother's house, the extended pesky family were soon on their way home. When the police van pulled into the bottom of their driveway, there were cars parked up by the house. Just drop us here, said Ingrid. She'd guessed who'd be waiting for them, and being seen with the police would complicate things. Who is it? asked Mum, as the van pulled away and they started to walk the last hundred metres. No one for you to fear, said Ingrid. They came around a bend in the driveway. The trees opened up and they could all see the house clearly. It was Henrietta Klaus and the immigration officials again. There you are, snapped the senior immigration officer. It was the same man who tried to deport Ingrid just a few weeks earlier. Yes, you see, I told you they'd be back soon, said Miss Klaus. She looked very relaxed as she tapped away at her laptop on the bonnet of her BMW. They were just busy spending quality time as a family unit. The immigration officer came to halt as he scanned the group. He did a double take when he saw Mum. I've seen your picture in the file, he said. Aren't you Mr Pesky's first wife? Well, of course she is, said Miss Klaus, snapping her laptop shut and giving the situation her full attention. It's important to have a good relationship with former partners. It makes a blended family stronger. The immigration officer had opened his file and was checking his notes. But you never got divorced. You had your marriage annulled because of, he quickly scanned the paperwork to find the detail, mistaken identity. He looked up from his file. After that, you still have a good relationship? He glanced from Mum to Ingrid, as though he expected them to break into a fistfight right in front of him. We've got a very mature attitude, said Mum. It's the 21st century. It's important to be open-minded about identity issues. Everything is fluid these days. The immigration officer looked confused. He knew he was required to be open-minded, but he wasn't sure what he was being asked to be open-minded about. I'm afraid the immigration department are being very unreasonable, said Ms. Klaus. I suspect there is some outside influence, but we're unable to delay any longer. Ms. Borg may stay in the country while her application for permanent residency is processed on the condition that she marries Mr. Pesky right now. Right now, exclaimed April. 
What does that mean exactly, asked Dad. Today, clarified Miss Klaus, I did an online celebrants course. I can do it myself. It'll take about three minutes. Gosh, said Dad. Oh, this is lovely, said Loretta. You have such a beautiful garden, Mr. Pesky. It's the perfect setting for a wedding. Well, I'll go into town and find a hotel, said Mum. I don't want to intrude. You can't just leave us again, exclaimed April. You just got back. Her face had gone bright red, like she hadn't decided whether she was going to cry or punch someone. Probably, knowing April, it would end up being both. Besides, this is Currawong, said Finn. There are no hotels. It's true. There's just Mrs. Shahani's Airbnb, said Loretta. But it's not really a proper B&B. It's just a futon in her garage. You'll be sleeping next to her Mitsubishi Mirage. Mum wasn't pretending to be a bumbling academic anymore, but she didn't look like a ruthless operative either. It's been 11 years, Harold, said Mum. I know you've moved on. In the prison, they showed me photographs. They, they told me about your upcoming wedding. Dad turned to Ingrid. She was staring at him in that unnerving way that made him feel uncomfortable. But somewhere along the way, he'd become comfortable with the way she made him uncomfortable. Well, yes, said Dad. Ingrid is my betrothed. I've made a commitment. We are going to get married. No, said Ingrid. It was shocking. She had raised the volume of her voice, which is something she'd never done before. This cannot go on. I cannot live a lie. Really, said Mum. In our line of work, it's kind of a professional requirement. Yeah, and you lied for years about not being able to speak English, Finn reminded her. But this is a big lie, said Ingrid. I cannot marry you, Harold. Oh, said Dad. He didn't know how to react. He was terrified of Ingrid, but he'd been getting used to the idea of having to live with her for the rest of his life. She had made him feel safe. It's the saggy brown dressing gown, isn't it, said Loretta with a sigh. We all love you, Mr. Pesky, but there are some things a woman can't overlook. No, it's not Mr. Pesky's ugly clothes or weak personality or shameful cowardice, said Ingrid. I grow to like, even respect him, even with all this. Oh, said Loretta. She hugged April's arm. This is so romantic. Harold, I cannot marry you, said Ingrid, because I love another. Then you're going to have to come with me, said the immigration officer, taking a pair of handcuffs from his belt. Ingrid shook her head. I'm afraid I'm not going to agree to that either. She clenched her fists. Then suddenly every sprinkler in Dad's garden came on simultaneously. The immigration officials yelped with shock. The water was cold, and it wasn't tap water. It was Dad's special irrigation blend. It was pre-mixed with manure and smelled really, really bad. Run! yelled Joe. He was standing by the tap, the faucet still in his hand. Ingrid ran. And that is the end of the chapter and the book. So have to wait and see what happens next week when I start reading the next book to be continued. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.